<laughs> it was. Hey, this is something, oops, you won't often see me bringing my Bible. It's on my phone, an iPad, but today it is, it is here. Uh, I have a number of them. My NIV, uh, it's a very precious Bible for the sake of just having it for so long, and it's falling apart, so I couldn't bring that. But I've got this one here with me, and we're going to read from that in just a few moments. How are you doing? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad to be here today. Okay. <laughs> I don't think anyone's really convinced about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace and mercy today. Thank you that you are a good God. Just as we've been hearing today and learning about our, uh, our faith and even the rocks, Lord, the stones, Father. We pray, Lord, that we just be reminded that, that even the temptation of Jesus was to turn the stones into bread. Father, I pray that you would do something amazing today and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to speak this morning uh, about a subject that's probably a little bit odd at Christmas time. And we'd probably talk about... Uh, focus of Christmas and Christ and his birth, and this does link in. But I want to speak to you about something I just feel like God has been speaking to me about. And so you can see the title of the message today, you can see it on the slide, is Rejecting Jesus But Not Rejected. And I want to speak to you about some of the challenges that we're living in right now in this world, but not only uh, impact us, but impact our, our faith and the reality of what it means to be a Christian and so I hope to, this morning that you will be empowered somewhat and encouraged in the next few moments. You know, the Christmas time is a, is a time for us particularly where we get excited about Christ. We, we get to think of time where we can get, have family time and celebrations and get together like this and focus on Jesus. But for many others, it's not that focused. For, for some, why it's, it's important for us and it holds great sacredness and value. But for many, they don't care. In fact, Christmas for many of them will be about Santa, about gifts and about holidays. You know, I think the, the thought would be, I don't know what's happening at Christmas. All I know is I've got holidays. Yippee! You know, and that can be sometimes the, the sentiment and the thought out there. I know for us we hold a deeper and more significant meaning to Christmas, and so we should. But I thought just to highlight a little bit about the journey we are on as a church. And I think not just us, I think many churches right now. I hope today that you are here of your own choosing. I hope you are here today because you want to be here, first and foremost. But I do realise that maybe you are here because of somebody else. And that's fine, but I really do hope that somehow you know that you are here because of Jesus and that you want to invite him in a fresh new way to speak to you. The reason that Jesus came and the reason we're celebrating Christmas is because we were sinners and are sinners. And we messed up and the world is so messed up. And we tried everything to fix it and get it right. And we tried everything that God gave us and we tried to do it, but we couldn't do it right. We couldn't do it the way God wanted us to do it. And in the end, he says this in Isaiah, I think it's in Isaiah 59, he says that in the only way I had to, uh, my own arm had to extend and bring salvation. So it's a great challenge for us. Last week we looked at the, the challenge of pure devotion, the challenge to love God with all our hearts and not to be preoccupied with the spirit of the world. And so my question is, how willing are you to be challenged at this time? 
How willing are you to be challenged? How much am I willing to be challenged? We're going to look at Isaiah in a few moments about a prophetic picture of almost a CV for Jesus. The reference, what is happening and who will, what he will be like and, and these similarities. And we get to see this. We get to see the assignment for Jesus, his earth, mankind, the redemption, salvation, deliverance and victory that is prescribed. It starts with infancy and we're going to read in a few moments because it had to reflect real life. And we have to understand that. And the scriptures constantly teach that. It had to reflect common life so that it could truly represent mankind. Let's have a look at Isaiah 53. Just a few verses and we could spend so much in, in Isaiah 53. It begins in Isaiah 53 prophetically saying, Who has believed what we have heard? And who has the, how, and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? I'll include verse 2 here, but it's not on the screen. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground had no form or splendour that should look at him, uh, his appearance, that we should desire him. And then verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. It's very powerful. Think about those words. Who has believed our report? I don't know about you, but I know that for most of my life when there's been opportunity to talk and to witness, it's often you come away going, sometimes so frustrated. Who is believing? Why aren't people getting saved? Why aren't we seeing God do something here? I mean, I think for many of us, we've had those conversations and it's like, Lord, this is hard. And yet in the sense of we just got to be faithful shouldn't be so hard for us. It should be this, we are trusting him in our delivery, trusting him with the message, trusting him to lead us and to guide us and to speak to all people. So we're going to learn a little bit this morning about the three big rocks, <laughs> the stones, but the big rocks, the big broad rocks of why people reject Jesus or why people reject the Bible. Why people reject God and his offer of salvation. Now, there's a lot of other little, little steps and issues and, and thinking behind this, but this, the broad stroke, this is just broad stroke. And I'm sure that if you and I, and, and if we talk about our conversations that we have had with non-believers or de-churched or anyone in particular who's searching maybe, these are some of the areas that you will find that come up in your conversation. This is who you are working with right now. This is when you're walking down the street and you bump into someone who doesn't know Jesus, there's a good chance that they hold to one or all of these beliefs and reasons why they are rejecting Jesus or the gospel or the good news. And so think about that because it helps us to understand the reality of, of our opportunity to share Christ with others. It's a true representation of every generation who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, who has received that revelation. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with much grief. He was despised 
and we esteemed or not valued him. Friend, I pray that this Christmas, let us explore the three ideas, the three reasons for rejecting Christ. I think it's very helpful. Maybe you need to be aware of what these things look like, these reactions, these, these belief or form patterns in people's hearts. So let's have a look. Number one, broad stroke here, people reject Christ because of misconceptions and preconceived ideas. There's a chance when you're speaking to someone that they've got some misunderstanding, some false idea or ideology or belief that somehow is being glued together through all the stuff of life for them maybe or their experiences. And so this is where it comes down to. In John chapter 1 it says, He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him or receive him. He came to his own of the Jews and his own did not receive him. We sang a bit about that before. And as many as received him, though, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Hallelujah. That's speaking about us today. If you're a believer today, then that reference, that scripture has, has implication for you and for me. It includes us. But to those who do, for as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the reality. They were not accepting, the Jews and the people of the day were not accepting a suffer, suffering, crucified Messiah. It was totally out of the question. They didn't obviously understand maybe Isaiah 53 like we do. We need to understand that 700 or so years ago, previously. But they were expecting a triumphant king that will crush their enemies. The misconceived idea. This, this can't be the Son of God. This can't be. This is, this is really different. We're not, this is not how God does things. He sends the prophets. Yeah, we have John the Baptist. He sends more prophets and more prophets. And there's the parable of the tenant who, who where, where the prophets, it's speaking of the kingdom of God and prophet after prophet was either killed or ridiculed. And then so the owner says, I'll send my son. Surely they'll, they'll listen to him. And, and so the, as it goes on, and Jesus is telling this parable in Matthew 13, and as the son is sent, they go, hey, this is the son. Let's kill him. There's a great picture of the whole sense of rejection from mankind and the hatred and the sense of despising of God himself. The Bible states again and again, the gospel is a stumbling block or an obstacle of offence in 1 Corinthians 1. Some, it was just very much hard sayings. Jesus would say and teach and many would walk away. Couldn't understand. Even the fact that the parables, Jesus often was speaking in parables, he was speaking spiritual truths with hidden meanings. Even the disciples would go, what are you talking about, Jesus? I don't under we don't understand. And Jesus would begin to, begin to unravel the parables. Ah, even that's difficult. Have you ever thought, I, sometimes I'll be honest with you, I love God, I love Jesus with all my heart, but there's parts of the Bible sometimes just don't make any sense to me. I'll be honest with you, I could have so many scriptures right now. It just doesn't make any sense. I just receive it and trust him in faith. Some would think that's blind faith. No, it's not. I just trust God. God is good and I trust him. And I know many of you do too as well. One common reason for rejecting Jesus is the misconceptions and preconceived notions and ideas about him. People often form opinions on cultural basis. 
misunderstanding, distorted representations of who Jesus is. We spoke about this last week, this moral relativism, my truth, worship of self-opinion, that there's no really moral claims of true and right. And what someone, you can have a conversation with someone and say, this is my truth today, but tomorrow it's a different, it's changed. And you come and go, hey, you're going, it's all different. And they can even turn on you, it's like, hey, this was my name now, I'm pronoun. It changes. People often form opinions based on cultural bias. In Mark 6.3, is this not the carpenter's son? The son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters. We know that Jesus is where we learn. The scripture helps us to understand Jesus had quite a, a large step family. And sisters, we're not sure. Some say two, some say more. Are not his sisters with us? And they took offence at him. How are you telling us what to do? We know who you are. We've seen you grow up. We've seen who you are. You're not to say, it's just like me claiming now I'm Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's, 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 that's how the misconceived notion of who Jesus was and is. The misrepresentation of Jesus taken even to the family environment becomes a roadblock for many. It's a bit like seeing a distorted image. If you ever look at the next image here, this is how people think. Look at the shadow here and this cat. And this is just one. Have you ever seen something and it doesn't look right? And you get this weird sense. So here's a cat looking on top of the shadow and it gives you a false or different appearance. And that's what it's like. It's a bit like that. We have a distorted thinking or assuming it's something when it's not. Only to realise like it's a beloved pet. In the same way, these misconceptions about Jesus can prevent people from seeing his true nature and the message of his love. I would ask you to examine your own personal misconceptions about Jesus, or even the Bible maybe, on your journey. Are they based on truth or cultural biases or misinformation? And you can see on the slide previously how many Bible verses you can just start to look at there. Take a slide or we can get the slide sent to you. So one reason, one of the big reasons is why when you're talking to someone about faith or you hear a conversation is they just, they just can't fathom this reality of who Jesus is. And it, and it, it, it gets a little bit tighter with the thinking there, but we'll leave it for there. We may look at that. I think we'll look at this a bit more next year. Number two, people reject Christ because of pride and self-sufficiency. I think this is the big one, but they're all connected. We believe that Satan fell like lightning. We believe that pride rose in his heart and he was cast out of heaven in Isaiah 14. Now in John 5:40 it says this, you refuse to come to me to have life. You refuse. The sense is that we refuse and people refuse Jesus not because of misunderstanding or false ideas or misconceptions or, or bad uh, experiences, but they simply reject Jesus because of their pride, because of the pride of their heart. Some refuse to accept Jesus because they place their faith solely in their own abilities, believing they don't need external help or a saviour. How can Jesus be saviour? if you don't think you need one. So pride is a big issue here. Now, I, I've said this before, though we, I know this is just a, it's a, it's a saying, but I, I like how it says it, that it's, it says that sin doesn't send you to hell, it's pride. Sin doesn't send you to hell, but pride does. 
Pride and a sense of self-sufficiency can lead individuals to reject Jesus. And I've spoken with many people, and when you put all this together, often it's an area of pride. Often it's, it's an offence of some sort or a misunderstanding that has, been, that has happened somewhere. But this is the real big issue, pride. Proverbs 18 says, uh, sorry, Proverbs 18, 8 verse 13 says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, says the Lord. Imagine yourself lost in a dense forest. Or for me, some of the bunning stores. And I don't ask for help. Now, there's a great, great uh, uh, example that I'm going to give you. But as many times I've been in Bunnings, and some of the biggest Bunnings stores, you cannot see one end from the other. And, they, and not like what we've got here up in Devonport or in Burnie or even in, in Hobart or Lonnie, but they go, they go back three or four times. They're like five, six times as big. I think the biggest one is in Sydney. It's massive. It's just like, it feels like it goes for kilometres. And I'll go in there and I'll think, I'll know where everything is and everything's usually where it is. And after a while, it's Gabe like, have you asked, where are you? You know, it's, we're ringing each other. Fortunately, we do have phones. And one of the things I just want to help you with, if you do go to Bunnings, you can now look up the item and it will tell you the aisle it is in and even the shelf and the row. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, it's a bit like the Bible. Hey, when you get lost, you don't know where you are. Hey, it's a bit like the Bible. You will find your way through there if you put in the right information and what you're looking for. Pride is that barrier. So imagine yourself in Bunnings. <laughs> Or maybe a clothes shop or a spotlight or somewhere that's very large and you don't know how to get out of it. Just imagine. Uh, pride will lead and blind our hearts from recognising the need for Jesus and for his guidance and salvation. Pride of life, we looked at last week, is unholy, an unholy ambition for self-display and self-glory or glorification. Something God really hates. Something we learn that these are things that God actually hates. And we learn that even in Proverbs chapter 6, the things that God hates, seven things that God hates. Pride makes you centre. That's the problem. And everything about it at the exclusion of God. I had a conversation with someone once who was explaining to me that salvation is knowledge. So the smarter you become the chances of being saved are, are higher. And we see so many errors with that. But it's only true, only true if you read the Word and you understand the Bible to a point where you get convicted for your sins. Someone has defined, we think of philosophy, for instance, and pride, not saying that philosophy is a good thing in the sense that we can learn and we should learn. And I love learning and I read lots and lots of books. But I like this definition, and I'm not trying to have a go at anybody who's, who's studied philosophy. But someone has defined philosophy as a blind man in the dark room looking at a black cat that isn't there. Remember, the true knowledge that we need to acquire is the knowledge of Scripture, the knowledge of Christ's love for our hearts. Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 4 says that self-sufficiency becomes a trap, an endless cycle of missing out on God's best, Pride, arrogance were the characteristics of Babylon. And in Jeremiah 50, it says, And then the most proud shall stumble and fall, and none shall raise him up. And as foretold, Babylon was destroyed by fire because of her sins. 
But it was a sense of pride. God at times even used Babylon to teach Israel lessons of life and to return back to him. But ultimately, Babylon was shut down because of pride. See, at best, pride is a failure to recognise our total, total dependence on God in everything, life, health and purpose. At worst, pride is spitting in the face of the one who created us. Tough words. Pride is a prison. Proverbs 16 tells us that pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be lowly in spirit. And this is why they struggled with Jesus, because Jesus humbled himself. God models this and says, I'll show you the way. He didn't come with great fanfare. He came in humility and loneliness and meekness of heart. It's a beautiful Beautiful passage. Romans 1.20 says, So that people are without excuse. Is pride in your heart? At times we can be a little prayerful. Pride in different areas, as I said. Very hard for me to ask for directions. I just don't like doing it. And after about two hours of Gabe nagging, um, I finally will ask. That's terrible if you don't have any phone reception either. That's happened as well. And you take the wrong turn and your wife said, don't take that turn, go left. And I went right. That was a fun conversation as well. (laughs) Told you so. Pride. Maybe little areas of pride in our own heart. Pride to not change, the pride to not listen. Nearly mentioned before about listening. Not trying to to fix people and be people's saviour. But listen. No, proud even to come up as we witness. And I've worked with some people who are so bold, but sometimes it's so, so, so tenacious, but sometimes you can be really gracious in how you witness and come across and to listen to their story. People don't want to be just fixed. We don't want to be just fixed. And often the relationship is, is paramount. Number three, people reject Christ because of fear of change and commitment. In John 3, 19, it says, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into world, the world, but the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practising evil hates the light. Hello? And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So friend, you're working with people, you've got friends, maybe relatives, loved ones who maybe are not saved or on a journey somewhere. These are some of the areas that you, if you can just think as you get to hear their heart and find out what's happening in their life, you'll find there's been some issue, misconceived idea or notion or experience that was built on on something false or harmful or hurtful to them. They just simply struggle to accept. For some, it's pride pride in their own heart, the self-sufficiency, I don't need any help, but we're realising that in this world, I'm hearing that, is, that narrative is changing. And I think what some, of the, some of the contribution to this particularly is what's happening around the world, but let alone because of Israel that was mentioned earlier, and what's happening and with the Palestinians as well. What is happening there has really brought light on the fact that there are some things that are starting to move a lot quickly or more quickly accelerated in a sense. 
the times in which we live. This is not a time to not know. This is not a time to be unsure about your salvation. This is not a time just to go through the motions and just do the things that you do. This is a time to dig in. This is a time to know who you are in Christ. This is a time to walk out your faith with confidence and boldness, no matter what anyone says, and to know that and to trust God with that. See, they love, they love darkness rather than light. That is why we learned last week, we are not to love the world because this is the philosophy of the world. This is the thinking of the world, to love the world, to love their evil, to love their sin. Come on now, sin is appeasing. Sin is, sin is appeasing, sin is pleasing. Sin, sin feels good most of it, most of the time. But as I said to you, it comes with a great cost. A great cost. Now, I'm not advocating sin. I'm just helping you understand the cost. of This is where people think, why do I change? Because I love my darkness. I love my sin. I love what it has brought me. I love the space in which, well, they say that, but when it really comes down to the conversation, they are struggling, probably because of that sin. They're probably in a whole heap of pain because of that sin. A whole heap of hurt. Because of that sin. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds should be, or her deeds, even be exposed. People love darkness. The fear of change and commitment that of following Jesus, that Jesus that it requires, will lead to rejection because people don't want to change and they want to commit. And I've spoken to people who said, do I, if I repent and give my life to Jesus, do I have to stop doing this? And I say, we don't have to. I often find people will just gradually do that. The closer they get to Jesus, the more or less likely to hold on to those things. But I know what they're saying. Can I, can I have Jesus and, and have what you're saying? Can I have this salvation and this Jesus? But can I have my sin? Can I have my cake and eat it as well? And I say, no, you're going to make a choice. We all have to make a choice. Many of us have had to walk away from things in our lives because we've had to make a choice. We've had to accept that following Jesus means change and it means commitment. It means commitment to the right things and not to the wrong things. These are the thoughts, these are the ideas that people hold. You're working with them. You're living amongst them in your street. Your neighbours, these are the things that they are thinking. The fear of change and commitment of following Jesus and what he requires can lead to rejecting him. The light of Christ exposes hidden sins and necessitates a transformation that some may fear and at worst even resist. I thought of this, imagine someone hiding in a dimly lit room, fearing exposure, fearing to come out into the light. And resisting stepping out in the bright light. You see a bit of an image there. Imagine living in that space. Some people live in darkness. And they're okay with that because that's all they've known. And our challenge, our message is that we bring light. We bring the light of God's truth. The light. These are three big core reasons why people will reject Jesus. There's more. There's lots of little facets under these. But when you're talking with someone... When you're having a conversation with someone, it'll be out of one of these three, or if not all of them. I think of the atheist. If atheists studied the scriptures, many would come to faith. I don't know if you heard of a guy called Lee Strobel. 
He did that. His wife got saved. She was born again, got baptised. He watched it and he looked from afar and said, "This is, I'm going to prove that Christianity is wrong. Christianity is so wrong. It is harmful. It is hurtful. This is totally, this is messing with my world. And he went and he's a journalist, a, a very forensic type journalist. And he went and studied the scriptures and studied and studied and studied. He said, I'm going to prove there's no God. I'm going to prove. And he went and as he started to do this, he came at the end conclusion that there is a saviour, there is a God and now he's written some of the greatest books about our, the challenge and living of, of our faith and of Christ that you could ever read. Interviewing many scholars and professors and getting their opinion and putting it together and helping many people come to a saving knowledge. But maybe if you're an atheist today, maybe if you're not sure or you just choose an agnostic is, is not sure, an atheist just defiantly doesn't want to believe but I think it's often because they don't want to give up on their darkness. They don't want to let go. They don't want to agree with a higher power of moral absolutes. They just don't want to. Because then that will mean they have to change. That means I have to be accountable. I'm not accountable to myself anymore. Now I'm accountable to a higher entity or being. It's a big challenge for them. Many have come to, to a saving knowledge, but many are still out there and they're adamant to fight against the faith and to fight against uh, uh, Christ or Christianity in some sense. And, to, and there's lots of stories. I know of Christians even, who have even taken that journey as well for, for sad reasons. I know sometimes when you read the Bible, it doesn't help. When you read words like, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. In other words, give up everything and be prepared to die, prepared to suffer. That's a hard call. See, the problem is not the idea of Jesus being a saviour. It is with what is asked in return. If I admit Jesus as a benevolent God of some kind, the only one who can die for my sins, who died for my sins and rose again to prove who he is and who he is that he says he is, then I would have no excuse then to follow Jesus. So I'll just deny and I'll fight it. Remember the rich young ruler? He did everything. He thought he was doing all the commandments, everything, all the requirements. He was doing everything. And Jesus said, okay, if you're doing everything, how about you sell everything you have, give to the poor and come follow me. And the guy goes, ah. Oh. Even Jesus is witnessing to someone and he walks off and doesn't accept. So don't feel bad if that happens to you. The rich young ruler, he wasn't prepared to change. He wasn't prepared to make a new commitment. Remember that what Scripture says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 19 and Luke 9 highlight for us how committing to Jesus often requires changing one's lifestyle, beliefs, priorities, which I know can be intimidating and often are met with resistance. When I got saved, that happened. I swore like a trooper. There was things I used to do, things, the way I behaved. And when I, when I got saved, I was still in the Army Reserves. It was really interesting. And there was this, this change. I just didn't want to do these things anymore. In fact, I ended up having a big argument with an atheist who was my staff sergeant. And we got into a big, a big conversation. Probably not the... I was a bit green. I probably a bit too argumentative. I probably should have had a bit more grace. In fact, I had to ask for a transfer because I thought me and him were going to get into 50 cuffs <laughs> um, and have a punch on or something. He was really, 
having a go at me in front of the class and I was, I was sort of holding my ground but it was getting, getting a bit rough. And so I ended up getting, tra- I wanted to leave actually the army then and the captain said, don't leave, you're such an asset here, we'll put you into another area and they put me into unit logistics and I did some full time in, in that area, in that space simply because they didn't want me to go, but even the captain liked me. I won favour. It's a bit like winning favour. God puts people around you. In Acts 4.11, it says, Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved. And the writer of Hebrews pulls no punches. And Hebrews 10 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The good news is that we don't want people to re- enter into that anger part of it, that, that wrath of God. We don't want them to, to experience that. We want them to receive salvation. I'm going to conclude now with you here. There are a few few reasons why sometimes people reject the love and salvation offered by Jesus. It's important to understand, friends, today, these three reasons are real for people's lives and hearts and that we should not judge, but we need to extend empathy and guidance and love to those who are struggling right now and maybe even in their faith. When you consider the reasons behind rejection, rejecting Christ because of misconceptions and preconceived ideas, rejecting Christ because of pride and self-sufficiency, and rejecting Christ because of fear of change and commitment, maybe it might help you to understand the people that you're working with and living amongst. Understanding rejection, rejecting Christ but not being rejected, not yet. Christ wants us to reach all people with his love his kindness and grace. And I ask you today, choose who you will serve today. You're as close to Jesus as you and I want to be. Look at the fears that are hindering your commitment to Jesus and ask how can you embrace his light and bring transformation power into your life and freedom into your lives. Let me pray. Father, gracious Father, grant us the wisdom and compassion to understand the core reasons and issues around why people reject your message. Reject Jesus. Help us to reach out with love this Christmas, with understanding that the barriers may be broken and hearts may be opened only by your amazing grace, your saving grace, and help us to be the vessel of instrument that you could work and use in this space, we pray. In Jesus' name. Friend, I want to close with this. Maybe you're not exactly sure if you're saved today. Maybe you're not born again, as the scriptures teach us. Then you must repent of your sin. You must deny yourself. You must take up the cross. And you must be willing to follow Jesus with all your life, even if it costs you your life. If you cannot do any of the above, then you are not ready to accept Jesus. You are not ready for Jesus. And I'm happy to love to chat with you and invite you to have a conversation with you, to encourage you how much Jesus does love you. He doesn't want you to choose another path. He wants you to choose him. He gave his life for you. He came and he was born and we're celebrating Christmas because of this very reason. God made a way. If you are not ready, we would love to speak with you. 
As I close in Romans 10, 11, it says this, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for whoever is here today who has heard these words. I pray, Lord, maybe even cut to the heart. Jesus, you made us for you. You didn't make us for all these other things. First and foremost, we are made for you, to have a relationship with you, to know you as our Lord and our Saviour, even to know you as friend. And I pray today, whoever you are, whatever life is thrown at you, whatever circumstances you are facing right now, whatever challenges or pain or hurt or grief that you're carrying in your heart, friend, please don't leave today without knowing that Jesus loves you. He's given everything for you and he's reaching out his arms. He's reaching out his life to you saying, will you just hold on to me? Will you reach out to me? Will you believe in me? And if you do turn from your sins and repent from your sins, If you confess Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you will be saved. And so, friend, please don't leave today without talking to someone about this sure reality. If you ever needed Jesus, if there was ever a time that we needed Jesus, it is now. God bless you.